Habakkuk chapter 1, we're going to start here at verse 12. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he, and makest men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with the angle, they catch them in the ne their net, and gather them in their drag. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice unto their net, and burn incense unto their drag, because by them their portion is fat, and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net, and not spare continually to slay the nations? I will stand watch upon my tower, and set me upon the or I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower, and will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So far, let us pray. Father, again, as we now turn to the word, we indeed set ourselves up to look to you. Lord, we wait upon you to give us our meat in due season. Lord, you provide for this world. You provide our daily sustenance. The sun rose this morning. Lord, we, um, we were able to come here. It is a mercy that is only from thine hand. And we ask that you would now please come with your spirit. Impress the truths of scripture deep within. Illumine our hearts that we would behold wondrous thing from your word, Lord, lest we come in vain. Oh, Lord, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So you've got to remember where we are. We are dealing here with Habakkuk, who has in chapter 1, verse 12, started his answer back to God when God said, I am going to bring the Chaldeans who are going to decimate Israel and the nations, and that brings us to the tension in verse 12 and 13 of the holiness of God, his character, his immutable eternal purposes on one side, and on the other side, we've got the Chaldeans blazing in, bringing injustice, bringing destruction, and as verse 17 ends, it basically seems that they come in, they gather the nations like fish, kill them, slaughter them, lead them into captivity, empty their nets. And start over, destroying more people. And, and the tension that Habakkuk is like, how God, how can you be holy and permit this level of injustice to punish your people, but also the nations that are among us? And that leads us to chapter 2, verse 1. And I have three points to bring out of that this morning. They are these. One, a trusting station. Two, an expectant sight. And three, a responsive statement. So a trusting station, an expectant sight, and a responsive statement. First of all, a trusting station. The first phrase, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. So we got to remember here, this is Habakkuk who is bewildered. He is perplexed. He's almost pulling out his hair trying to understand the tension, right? And from there, he says... I will stand upon my watch. This verse is an interruption in the dialogue, as it were. 
between Habakkuk and Jehovah, he sees, we see him position himself and put himself in a posture expecting God to respond to his struggle, to what he just said in verses 12 to 17. The language of being upon the watch is military language. He stands as a watchman on guard. You got to think of a sentinel who stands on the walls of a besieged city, looking out, looking for a news, a report, an activity from afar. He wants to be up there so he can see. Now Habakkuk is quite aware of the audacity of how he charged God with in his perplexity, in his last speech. And now, as Moses before him had stood in the cleft of the rock to behold Jehovah, as Elijah was called to stand on the mountain to behold Jehovah, so now Habakkuk, taking his cues from those before, stands to see Jehovah once again. Notice he says, And I set me upon the tower. The tower most likely is the rampart of the city, those walls where you could stand upon and, and be at some level shielded and still look far. It is the highest places, so he can look the furthest. Calvin says the tower of which he speaks is patience arising from hope. That's why you look out, because you're hoping, you're expecting, aren't you? It looks to God. So the believing saint, those Christians, we must climb up those steps as well onto those high towers. Let us go upward. Let us look to God in the times of distress, in prayer, seeking fellowship with God. Let us rise up the ramparts. Will you be among those who rise in prayer, looking and expecting from God, even if you're bewildered, even if you're perplexed, even if life has thrown you curveballs and you don't understand what Jehovah God is doing as this nation is crumbling underneath us? Are you going to pray for her? The Puritan Thomas Goodwin has a book called The Return of Prayers. You know what that means? You don't just throw prayers out there. You expect a return. And that's what you're watching for. You pray expectantly. You pray knowing God answers prayers. Which soldier back in those days would shoot an arrow and be indifferent as to where it lands? No, the arrows are shot with intention. They go somewhere. They are fired with targets in mind. Prayer. Believers, is an arrow that is shot into heaven's mighty courts. And let us not release our pleas into heaven's courts with indifference as well. I'll see what sticks. Let's see what happens. I'll just throw a bunch up there. Oh, let us not be a scoffing pilot. Remember what he asked Jesus? Remember he said to Jesus, while Jesus was on trial, he asks him, what is truth? It's a significant question. The Lord of the universe, what is truth? You know what Pilate does next? Walks away with indifference. He did not stay to hear the answer. That's often how prayer is. We just throw it up there and we don't care. We don't watch to see how the Lord will answer prayers. Many Puritans would keep diaries and they would pray and see how the Lord is working through his providences to answer prayer. They would watch for that. One of the uh, disciplines that is rarely talked about nowadays 
in our busy, distracted, instant world is the discipline of solitude. Solitude. The uh, Dutch pastor Wilhelmus Abrakel, writing in the 17th century, writes this. He says, solitude is a period of time in that we might engage ourselves more earnestly and freely in those exercises whereby we seek after God. We see the example of solitude many times from our Lord himself when it says, he went up in a mountain to pray. He departed himself from the people. Luke 5.16 is an example. He withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed solitude with the Father. Do you spend time alone with God? Let us carve out time for this. Let us carve out time and climb the tower of expectation, seeking the face of the Almighty, as Habakkuk did and as our Lord did. Now, notice that it says, He will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower to go up. You must abandon what's below, must you not? You below inside the city at ground level, one cannot discern what's going on beyond the walls. The watchman is there to tell people what's going on. So you have to forsake what's below and move above. A watchman may stand up there for a while and then he may be tempted to, to go down with the boys in the barracks again and, and talk with them and, and just banter around. No, we have to abandon the soil of fleshly thinking let us not return to lady folly, as it were, the book of Proverbs talks about. Let us stay up, expecting our hope and our help from God alone. Because if we stay down here, if we stay in the earth, on the soil, what happens? We start to then approach the mysteries of providence, the things that befall us, with worldly thinking. How's your theology been soiled by worldly thinking? Your car breaks down. Kids are sick again. The boss gets mad at you. And you blame God. And you say, why didn't you make my life easier? Is God some sort of a Santa Claus? Gives us whatever we want? Where'd that thinking come from? You see, Satan has captured Many minds who have abandoned the tower of watchfulness. What he does is he throws ashes into your eyes so you can't see afar. He clouds your judgment, does he not? You heard the whispers. Maybe it's to you. Maybe you heard them this week. Religion to crux. Stop expecting from God what you can only get in yourself or from your friends. Why keep going? Maybe what's been pushed into your mind are these thoughts. Your sins have made you a hopeless cause. Look at you. You're despicable. You've had too many strikeouts before God. You're beyond salvation. Others, your problems come from oppressive people. You're a victim. You deserve better. Others, your parenting 
is beyond repair. Your kids are doomed. Is that true? No. We look to God to change hearts. We look to God to change our parenting. We look to God to change our children. We look to God to change our understanding of who we are, that we don't deserve anything. We are sinners, but we stand by grace and we wait for God. You see, when you follow your own feelings and your own thinking, it will lead you to despair. It will lead you to anxiety and fear, to disappointment. And perhaps this morning you came precisely in that. Disappointed, afraid, afraid for your future. Will I ever be happy? Will I ever find fulfillment? What's my purpose? What's my job going to like? What's my future going to be like? You see, if you contend with all of these thoughts on the ground, if you think you can stand against the flesh and against the devil according to your own understanding, the devil will a hundred times overwhelm you. He's much more powerful than us. The only help from those whispers is from God. Is it any wonder then that the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians when he says, Stand, putting on the armor of God. In verse 18, remember that in Ephesians 6, he says this, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. How many people read the first part but don't have a clue what to do with the second part? Watching thereunto with perseverance. We must forsake our own wisdom, abandon our reasoning, and set ourselves afresh as Habakkuk on the tower of expectation. Draw close to Christ. Meditate by faith on him, on the word of Christ. Behold Jesus Christ. He is the strength of Israel, is he not? That's exactly why Habakkuk went up and looked to him. He's puzzled, but he knows God is his only hope. And so raise your hopes higher. Look to him and he will disarm the lies of the devil and the thinking that is soiling your mind below. Notice he says, I will set me upon the tower. You know, the word there in the Hebrew means to plant yourself firmly on this tower. As a soldier that is ready to do battle, positions his feet in such a way that though the assailant may come, he will not budge an inch. And that is how Habakkuk positions himself in his waiting. Firm. If you resolved to more prayer and to more Bible reading, but after a season of trying to pray and trying to read the scriptures more, your feet start to shift and you feel yourself being pushed back. And what happens? You back down at the tower of expectation. You're disappointed. Oh no, Habakkuk says, hold fast your post Christian, hold fast. Be as Abraham who persisted in praying with God for the righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. He kept approaching God. If perhaps, if perhaps, remember, he says, oh, this one more time, let me ask you. Be as Jacob who said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Remember, he wrestled with the angel of God. Be 
holding fast to Christ, as it says in the Song of Solomon's about the, the groom, it says, the bride says this, I found him whom my soul loveth. And then it says these words, I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house. That is the expectant heart of the believer, holding on to Christ. Away then with despair. Perhaps that's how you came. Away with worldly speculation. Christ will not disappoint us. You know, being on the tower of expectation, looking to God, is actually rendering to God the glory that he is worthy of. Because when we look to him, we say he is worthy of our anticipation. He is worthy of my gaze. He is worthy of me staying up, looking to him, even though I don't get it. The world is puzzling me. My situation makes no sense. I will still honor his name because he said, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will hear thee. That's what he says. So honor his word as you watch for him. Bewilderment and shock can leave you perplexed. And God may make you in your life in the providences, perhaps through a very tragic situation, make you to fear and to tremble. You may be on the tower of expectation, looking out, not knowing what is coming. You will feel on that tower of expectation, small, and helpless. You're vulnerable up there, aren't you, at some level? Sure, there's the little bits of rock trying to protect you, but you are out. You are vulnerable. It is precisely in the vulnerability and in our humility towards God that we are most ready to receive the precious rain that comes from the Almighty. That brings me to the second point expectant sight and we'll watch to see what he will say to me now there's something that in no English version really comes out well but in the Hebrew it's very emphatic that it says three times I will I will stand I will set me I will watch it's very clear that these these uh, predominant suffixes are on there, or prefixes, sorry. And so his resolve is seen in each of these. I will do this. He will carry out his appointed role. Now that's not opposed to grace. A lot of people will see the I wills of scripture, the resolves as well. I thought we live by grace. I thought God has to do it. These aren't opposed to one another. There is the grace of God that grounds the resolve of the saint. It is no wonder that the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You do that. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The tension of human responsibility. I will set me upon the tower. Do that is strengthened, empowered by God, giving the grace to rise up that tower of expectation. So then, if this resolve is up to us, here's a question. How do you choose to wait upon God? 
What are you doing? What resolves have you made? What things are you changing in your life to depend and look to God? Is your day packed so tightly you don't have time left? So God gets perhaps what's on the edges, on the fringes when you're super tired. And if that doesn't work, I guess I missed another day. Is that how you deal with God? No. I will wait. I will set. I will put me upon the tower. Resolve. Let's be a resolute people. Notice he says, I will watch to see what he will say to me. You're looking, which means you're not falling asleep. Watch men are on watch. It's obvious, isn't it? Watchmen don't watch for half an hour and then go to sleep. If a watchman would do that, he would be punished. Sometimes it will be the spaces of many hours that he will be on the tower. It could be dry. It could be dark. He doesn't see much out there. And nothing happens. It could be many, many spaces of time. And similarly, in prayer, there can be many, many spaces between our prayers and God's answers, which is why it's no wonder that the Puritans were diarizing their prayers. It is a lost art, as it were, because you watch. Sometimes it's something you prayed for two years ago, and the Lord in His providence is answering that prayer. But don't doze off. And the eyes of your hope gotten heavy because the trial is darker than you thought. Perhaps you've been praying many months for something or for someone. Perhaps you're an impatient watchman. You've become tired. And you say, well, God's not going to answer. No resolve with Habakkuk. Again, I will not be a bystander. I will keep my post. Because, because God calls me to it. That's enough. This whole verse, chapter 2, verse 1, talks about the besieged saint, right? Under siege, as it were. His faith in God is under attack. The Apostle Paul experienced this too. He writes in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, he says this, For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. The beleaguered, troubled, besieged saint is the reality of the Christian life because the Lord will bring in his wisdom trials peculiarly tailored, designed for you and for me that he will use to draw us to that tower of expectation. And perhaps your faith this morning is cold. You came to church because, well, it's what we do on Sunday mornings, and, and, but the joy you once had in the Lord Jesus Christ, it seems like a vapor that has gone away and, and is not there anymore. And you start to wonder, well, how can God put these struggles in my life? You know, the sentinel on the wall, the watchman on the wall, he's observant, he's silent, watching. And so even while you are under the siege of these trials and these questions, silently watch and learn. This week, I was reading the biography of Andrew Fuller. It's an amazing story, an amazing book, lots of diary notes. And I was struck when I read his notes of January 26th to January 30th, 1781. 
Here's a few excerpts. The 26th. Much affected today with or for my dear father, who I fear will die. Oh, his immortal soul, how can I bear to bury him unconverted? I have had many earnest outgoings of soul for him. 27th. In prayer he writes, Give me some good hopes for the welfare of his soul. Then I could almost be willing to part with him. 28th. It's Sunday now, the Lord's Day. He writes, Affected with nothing less else today but the thoughts of my father's death. This I know not how to bear. 29th. It's Monday. Oh, he is gone. He is gone forever. His art was agonizing. His father died. We don't know where he went. The Lord knows. He wrestled. Oh, the weight of eternity. How Habakkuk knew this. His kinsmen, according to the flesh, were soon to fall to the Chaldeans. Oh, the weight of eternity. A watchman is vigilant because he knows the weight. And it's often in those dark hours that panic can seize us, can't it? You might think, oh, he's gone. I'll never get over this. God may sometimes use death the death of a close one to humble you or me. To see the ugliness of a world in rebellion and to give an intimacy with God that we never thought possible. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. And so watch on the wall in humility, not in pride. Let us be composed and alert, stilling our passions and our fears, looking to God alone, trusting that he will give strength even if and perhaps when we agonize about the death of a lost one who does not know Jesus Christ Savior. So go upwards, people of God. Look to God. Look past the valleys to the heights beyond. Our covenant God is always good. Always. Lamentations written in the same time by Jeremiah in lament, in weeping. He says, I will lift up, or he says, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. He says this, in the darkest hour, he says, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. David will write, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help 
cometh from the Lord, which made the heavens and the earth. And you only know that on the tower of expectation. Stay in the dirt, stay in the castle, stay below, and you will not know the help that comes from God. Do you know it? And so he says, I will watch and see what he will say unto me. You hear that? He's looking for a word. It's almost as if you can see the man on the, on the ramparts. And suddenly, there's a horse coming. Remember in, when David is under attack from Absalom? And he says, behold, one rideth. You get this later. When another one, and he says, oh, it is like Jehu, the son of Nimshi. You get all kinds of people coming to castles in the Bible. Examples where the watchman calls out. Oh, the answer from God will come. The horse will come riding. The runner will come to the, to, the, to the person watching. It will come, dear people, through Scripture, through the Word of God, the Spirit revealing truths to us that we never saw before. You know, it's interesting. This is the prophet Habakkuk. Nothing revealed to Habakkuk was going to contradict Previous revelation from God. But don't be fooled. The watchman can be alerted to many false alarms. Oh, I think I see something. Oh, no. Oh, no. I hear something. Oh, no. That's, that's nothing. He has to be alert, right? Many people have said, God spoke to me. Or God is telling me something. But hear this. If it is not according to Scripture, do not hold to it. Do not sound the alarm. Do not stir the people of God if it is not according to Scripture. You must not listen to it. You see, the difference between reading the Bible or Scripture as a watchman or as a mere observer is staggering. Observers will read it and say, oh, that's just an interesting book. I was looking for someone else besides God. Lots of information, lots of historical stuff, stories, inspirational stories maybe, but not God, a word from God. A watchman. He will read it with an excited, faithful expectation and a prayerful hunger. It is in this book he knows God speaks. It is there that his spirit stirs the longing heart. And that is why the watchman reads scripture prayerfully. He reads it wanting to see God. I will not rest until I have beheld the Almighty. Do people bathe your scripture reading in prayer? God will open precious vistas of light when you do. Like a splash of cold water on a drowsy face, face scripture's truths can arouse us from the slumbers of unbelief. Scripture is precious. It's precious to the saint. 
to think the book we have on our laps this morning, this book, you, you have it in front of you, I hope, that book imparts indisputable counsel from God, a word from God in due season, to know that the comforts written here are always genuine and trustworthy. Where else are you going to get that? Genuine and trustworthy. You, can, you can't find that anywhere else but here. Always right. Always good. Always grounded in the very mind of the Almighty. Last point. A responsive statement. He says, And what I shall answer when I am reproved. Kind of an interesting thing to say. I'm going to watch. I'm going to set myself on the tower. I'm going to wait. And then God's going to reprove me. He's going to correct me. One footnote says, and the Hebrew lends to this, God is going to argue with me. With my thinking. That's interesting, isn't it? A rebuke from the Almighty. And based on that rebuke, he says, I shall answer. You hear that? God's going to, he spoke, right? Habakkuk spoke. God's going to rebuke him, and now I'm going to answer back. That's the way he expects this to go. That's the whole book. This whole book of Habakkuk is really in the form of a dispute. Habakkuk speaks. God answers. Habakkuk pleads. God answers. Habakkuk responds. God answers. That's how it's going, right? You know what that is? That is in the form of of Jewish wisdom literature. Jewish wisdom literature was a quest for wisdom through dispute. And that's normal, isn't it? How do you want to be sharpened? It is by interrogating. It is by talking. It is by disputation and learning from someone. But to learn from the Almighty. Wow. That's amazing. One commentator notes this. He says, the wise of Israel hoped to receive divine clarification of their perplexities. That's what they wanted. And that's why you wait. Because God's going to correct you. And that's why it says in Proverbs, it says, turn you at my reproof. That's wisdom, to turn at the reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Don't expect to come here this morning and walk away without being reproved, without being challenged, without being put in your place, as it were, that God challenges you to something more. Expand your mind through the Word. Now, you're going to play the fool this morning. You can. You can be a fool here this morning. The Bible says that the fool is not teachable. It says in the same Proverbs, it says, But the fool would none of my counsel, and they despised all my reproof. How are you going to walk out? Wiser or more foolish? Are you teachable? Young children, are you teachable from the word? Does it mold you? What this means is that when God speaks, we must be willing to bow. And then we must answer according to what we've been taught. We're not here this morning for our comfort. 
Because this is about truth. I can tell you all kinds of motivating stories. Make you feel better. Is that good if it's not true? We want God's word, don't we? Coming to church this morning is a risky undertaking. It is daring to tread into the company of those who tremble at the word of God. That's how you came. You came into the company of those who tremble at the word of God. Jeremiah says this, he says, Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, like a hammer that breaketh the rocks in pieces? Your Bible, received as a watchman, not as a calloused observer, has the power to set on fire your heart, to warm it, to stir its embers, to arouse you to be pliable and teachable. But it can also break you like a hammer that smashes rocks to pieces. I'm thankful for that hammer at many times because my heart can be oh so stubborn and there's so many sins that the hammer of the word must crush underneath to remind me that I am nothing but dirt before the almighty and so come as dust as mere maggots dust that we are to an incomprehensible God greater than our wildest imagination and then welcome the reproof that's how I want to come to scripture welcoming what he has to say to me to you this morning we saw that Habakkuk expects to answer back to God we learned that But believe me, in this reproof, his answer will not only be to God, but will also be to the people of God, the covenant people that are perplexed. They're asking the prophet, what's going on? And so to speak rightly to one another, we must first glean the wisdom from the Almighty. How many people have been led astray by people who spoke flippantly, rashly, who had not been in the word by faith? Many professors at seminary can kill you if they have not first waited upon God. And that is why I am so thankful that God has raised up throughout the generation teachers and preachers who were first on their knees. And then in the word. Those are the ones we must listen to. Believe me when you read of John Knox's prayers. And when you read of Calvin's prayers. And Luther's petitions. Those agonizing prayers drove them deep in the word by faith. Nothing else will drive those pegs down deep to receive the truths. What we see in this verse, ultimately, is Habakkuk plays the role of a mediator for God's people. Elders, we are challenged 
to be spiritual watchmen for Christ's flock. Fathers, will you be watchmen for your family on the tower of expectation? Wives, will you pray for your husbands and for your children that God has given you? Will you pray that your husbands have the courage to lead when the winds come blasting against them? Will you pray for your children and plead for them that their hearts are turned? Do not discount the prayers you have made. Young men and young women, you know who you are. Are you pleading for the holiness of this church? Are you pleading for a revival to sweep through Canada that once again the word of God will bear much fruit for this nation? Are you, young men and women, if you profess Jesus Christ, are you pleading for the spirit of God to be poured out among this nation? He has in the past, and that is how change comes. It will not come through politics. It will not come through education systems and unions. It will come from the spirit of the Almighty, and you can be part of that as a watchman on the wall. Grandparents, here you sit this morning. You've gone to church more than most of us. Will you too be watchmen for the future generations? Your time is short. What are you doing? Be mediators, as Habakkuk was, ultimately. He points to the great mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for his people. Where our mediation is meager and weak and finite, when he mediates, it is perfect, comprehensive, understanding all things, and thus pleading Perfectly according to the mind of his father. His wisdom is unsurpassable. And thus his words as mediator for his people to us are pure words. And every prayer for us has not the slightest tincture of imprecision. Dear people, in closing, see in this verse the wonder of relationship, because that's what we see. Habakkuk in relationship with the covenant God. Understand that we have in Jesus Christ a covenant relationship with the Father. These words of expectation from Habakkuk sparkle, as it were, with the covenant mercy of our great God. What grace to us. It is a mercy, isn't it? So be on the rampart, people. Ascend it. Forsake the soil. Climb the tower and eagerly look for Christ. 
The Bible says, the Lord is rich unto all that call upon him. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God in heaven, how precious is the word. O oh Lord, it is indeed dew on the grass that causes it to grow. O oh Father, I pray that it would be received this morning by faith. Lord, that we would do away with our own expectations, our own foolish minds, and hear the reproof, hear the exhortation. Be moldable. Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter. We are the clay. In Jesus' name, amen.